Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8 says, The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than the haughtiness of spirit. It's a unique phrase. The, the end of a matter is better than its beginning. It's unique when you think that through and, and you consider the implications of that phrase. The end being better than the beginning. You may be really excited when your wife buys this big box from Ikea, but the end of that, having it finally built and established and firm and in place, is a lot better than the beginning. Uh, it may look really neat to have a Lego box and to be excited about the thousand pieces to build, but I'll tell you, the end is a lot better when you see it on the shelf and you get to play with it than the beginning. The first day of school is really exciting, but the last day of school, not the school year, but school forever is forever exciting. The last test, the last degree, the graduation, you are finally done being graded and judged by another in your life without having permission to do so. There's a first day of work, and there's anticipation about all the things you're setting out to do, but there's something special about the last day, about retirement and all that it is that one accomplished. Can you see how that phrase may be special for us today? Here we are on the first day of the week, but it's the last day of this year, the last day of 2023, and the Lord has given us this day to be alive. It's unique, isn't it, when we think back over all the things that took place this past year, all the events. I don't know about you and what you set out for with this year, what goals you had in mind, what plans you had in place, what things you were anticipating or preparing for, but I guarantee, however this year went about, wasn't exactly the way that you had imagined it. There may be some things along the way that were really good, and you learned and grew, and the things that proved to be good by God's good grace are the things we need to continue and to bring forth into a new year. There could be some things that developed this year, and they weren't good. Some bad habits, some attitudes, some dispositions that need to be changed, and those are some things that maybe we don't need to bring forth to us in the, in the next year. In fact, on the back, Jansen already made a plug to it. We have our books, our reading plans for getting into the Word of God consistently. And so if you had the family devotional and you're working with your families and that's what you were using to read the Word of God, then I encourage you to continue to use that as a tool and to continue to read and be in the Bible together. But if you need a resource, maybe you're not using our family devotionals and you don't have kids in that age, and you would like a guide to help you stay in the Word of God consistently and for us to read together as a church family and pray together as a church family and on the back pages to choose a group, a small group. It's not too late to choose a small group and get plugged in and get active as we start this new year. I encourage you. Our sister Hope is printing more. Thank you, our sister, for wherever you are. Thank you so much for your good work and what you've done. Let's start this new year with the end in mind. That's a phrase that was coined by Stephen Covey in one of his books, beginning with the end in mind. It, it's, it's quite a thought, isn't it? That I change where I am today and what I'm doing today based on what's yet to come. There's a lot of avenues where this is very important. If you're someone who works with your hands, you build with wood and you carve, it's important to know what you're carving to begin with the end in mind or else you're just going to end up with a toothpick. It's important to know what you're doing beginning with the end in mind and cutting hair. My sister, when I was in high school, wanted to attempt cutting hair. She had never done so before. And for some reason, I said, sure, uh, go for it. And so she was whacking away. There's some, some professions that when you hear the word, oops, 
fills you with anger and fear at the same time. Surgeons are in that list, but certainly haircut is there, because I remember there was a distinct moment when she clipped and said, oops, and I said, you're done. <laughs> we'll just shave it off. We have a lot of college students who are home at this time of year, and this may be close to home for some of you. Some go to college, and they know exactly what it is they're going to do, what courses they're going to take, what plan they're, they're attacking, and they provide all the plans and the courses to accomplish that goal. And then others go to college and they kind of have the mindset, I'll, I'll figure it out along the way. And so they have all sorts of classes and all sorts of variety of fields and they end their college experience with a lot of bills and t-shirts but nothing really set in stone. They didn't start with the end in mind. You know this principle, a beginning with the end in mind, is true to the text. It's found in the Word of God. So, uh, Moses would say in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's interesting. Teach us to understand our mortality, that we're not going to be here forever. That is, help us to look forward and understand that our time on earth will come to an end, and based on that truth, allow it to change the way we live today, that we may gain wisdom and use that wisdom today. In Second Peter, as I ask you to open your Bibles, in Second Peter, beginning in verse 9, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, 2 Peter 3, beginning of verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and all its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Notice what he says in verse 10 and 11. It is the earth and all that is created is going to end and it's going to go down in fire. It's all going to be burned up. But then Peter says, based on what is to come and the reality on what is to come, how does that change the way we're living today? How should the end change my presence? Or the principle I want us to think about is, how can I shape who it is I am today based on where I want to be eternally? Beginning with the end in mind. I have just a few simple thoughts, a couple of simple thoughts for you, just with this in mind, and then this lesson will be yours. What if I begin with the end in mind in my marriage? Have I considered the end of my marriage. I don't mean ending my marriage in terms of divorce, and, and I really don't mean contemplating if my spouse were to die, what would I do? What would be my, my next steps? Here's the greater and more deeper and more important question. If it turns out that my spouse goes on to meet the Lord before me, and they go on to stand before Jesus, what role can I play to help them prepare for that great day. I know one day, the one who I love more than my life itself is going to stand before the throne of God. What can I do? What role will I play? What things can I do in my marriage to help them be ready? It's not kind of what's at play in passages like 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, Peter's speaking about wives. He says, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, 
they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and, beha- uh, and respectful behavior. What he's saying? I want you to live with your husband in such a way that even if he's not where he should be today, the way you love and the way you care and the way you submit and the way you serve may influence and change him for the better. In fact, in your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. The same kind of principle is explained in Ephesians 5, more directed towards husbands, although both are mentioned in this, in this context. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, Paul writes, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he being himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands, husbands ought to love their, 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 uh, their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Do you notice from verse 27, the love, my brothers, we have for our wives, the sacrificial, kind, cherishing, nourishing love, is in a view to who it is my wife may be one day. I love her today. I love her for who she is. I love her and I chose her and she's mine. But I'm loving her. And I'm cherishing her. And I'm trying to teach and mold through my words and my example and my prayers in view of who it is that she can become. And in some small measure... I get to play a part in that. Yes, she has her own choices, and she gets to choose the person she will become, just as I get to choose who I will become, independent of my wife and her choices. But there's no mistake that both Peter and Paul are making the same point that of all the influences God has given us under the sun, the strongest is is us, husbands and wives. And so he says, I want you to love her and care for her and serve her and give your life for her not just for who she is today, but in view of who this beautiful bride, the strong man, can be one day. In fact, even as later on in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 says, you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel. Since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Here's he's saying, I want you to live with her and care for her and treat her in such a special way, not just so that God will hear your prayers, but so that the desire of your heart, the aim of your prayers, the condition of your, of your, soul's, your, your spouse's soul will be heard and answered by the Lord who hears prayer. Do you see the question we're asking here? beginning with the end in mind with my spouse. I'm imagining my spouse standing before King Jesus. Is that something that excites me or something that makes me nervous? And knowing they're going to be there one day, there's a lot they have to do on their own. But there are things I can do today 
the kind example, the gentle nudging and encouraging and teaching, the constant daily prayers, the reinforcing of God's Word and the things I say and do at home. What can I do if the Lord gives us another year that would help my spouse become who it is God has made them to be? I want to begin with the end in mind in my marriage. What if we began with the end in mind in my parenting? That the psalmist paints a picture of children in Psalm 127, beginning in verse 4, where it says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who, who, who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with, uh, speaks with his enemies in the gates. He paints this picture that children are a lot like arrows. Arrows are prepared, arrows are notched on the bow, and then arrows are launched in a direction. No one just shoots arrows willy-nilly. I, we bought our boys this arrow set when they were a lot younger, and their aim was very good, and they wanted to show it. And I had a mark here for a week afterwards as one of them hit the bullseye. I'm giving them more of a target as the years go along, but they hit the bullseye uh, square on. No one just launches arrows. The idea of an arrow is direction. I am setting forth my children in a direction. This picture is illustrating a principle that's also described in Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Here's the principle. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do you see the similarities between the two? Here's the principle that's being taught and shown and illustrated. That children, by and large, will follow the path set for them by their parents. That's the principle. No, it's not absolute, and we know that. We know it's not absolute. That you can have good, godly parents, and they teach their children to love the Lord and to honor His Word. And children, unlike arrows, have a mind of their own, and they get to make their own choices, and so they can choose to disregard the good example of their mom and dad. And the opposite is true as well, that you can have a wicked mom and dad, a very selfish mom and dad, and children choose to overcome that example and to choose a better path. And so no, it's not an absolute principle, but it is a general principle. That by and large, children will follow the path set for them by their parents. And that demands of us, mom and dads, to ask the question, what direction am I aiming my children towards? What path am I casting them down? My brother Jansen asked some really good questions this morning in his lesson. We didn't coordinate this, although it works quite well. I want to kind of blend some things he talked about and share some with you. When I was in high school, I was in athletics. I did basketball. My main sport was, was running. I ran cross-country and track. I wasn't running because I was running from someone. I just liked to run. I liked the idea of running and racing. I have a box, and in that box are a lot of these medals from winning different races. Some are gold, and some are silver, and some are just multicolored. But I have a lot. I have a lot of medals from my time in athletics. And they are in a box, and they're collecting dust. In my mom and dad's house in southern Indiana, they have a file cabinet about this tall, and about three drawers down, and halfway in is a file folder. And I had some tests I took. I got A's on and some papers I wrote that I did a lot of research on. My diploma is in there, and it will be thrown away. It's just collecting dust. I played the French horn in high school. In fact, I played 
so well in this small school in Kansas City that I was the first chair and won awards and have plaques that have either been thrown away. One I found the other day had a large layer of dust upon it. Those are all good things. Sports teaches us self-control and teamwork and competition. Academics teaches us to stretch our minds and to learn how to learn and to love learning. Arts and music teaches us creativity and discipline. But good things become dangerous when we make them the main things. And I need to ask the question, am I only sending my children, aiming my children towards the things that are just going to collect dust? towards the things that one day I'm just going to throw away. I want you to listen because this is what Jansen said this morning. There's a world of choices set before us, but there is a choice that matters more than any others. There's one decision that is greater than any other choice that I could possibly make the better portion that will never be taken away. Of all the things I can do for my children, the most important is to foster in them a love and desire and a life that is set towards the things that don't decay. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Jesus said, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is that? I'm aiming my children towards a love for God that they not just know about God and they have some information for God, but that they love the Lord their God with all their heart and their soul and their mind and their strength. I'm aiming my children towards a true desire for worship. I don't have to drag them out of bed on Sunday morning saying we're going to worship. Why? Why are we going to worship? They want to be here because worship is about God. It's not about this church. People who don't want to come to worship, it's not about church. It's about God. The issue is with God and not with the church. The issue is with God and not about the preaching. The issues with God and not about the singing. I want my children to want to be at worship because they want to worship God and they love God. I want to instill in my children a trust in God so that even if I'm gone and the Lord takes me early and we've all tasted that, not one of us are guaranteed a lifetime with our children, but what I want from them is to trust the Lord and to trust His words, which is what I'm trying to teach them. That when their father is gone, they still have their father who is directing them and guiding them in terms of who they are to be. I want my children to be active in his service. I want my children to bend in prayer. They may not be able forever to speak a foreign language. They may not be the fastest on track. They may have a lot of medals that will gather dust. And I'm going to let them have medals. And I'm going to teach, Holly will teach them music. <laughs> And they're doing well in academics. But when I look in the end, I'm not looking at all the medals that are hanging around their neck. I'm looking, one, at the day I'm gone. What will they be like? What will their life be like? What path will they walk when I'm gone? But I'm really looking at the end. I'm looking at my children standing before King Jesus. 
That's what I want more than anything. I want my children to be able to stand before Jesus, not as if they're standing before a stranger, but before the one that they have loved and given their lives to serve. What about in the church? In fact, not just the church, my church. One of the, the phrases I have loved from one of our now high, uh, college students who was in high school when she said it, she goes, I know that this is the Lord's church, but I just love my church. And I love that phrase, the close relationship we have with one another and the difference it makes. It's a great thing if you just kind of look out. Some of us have been here for a long time. Some of you have been here for a long, long time. But this is us. We chose this church. We chose this. There's a lot of local congregations we could be a part of, but we chose to be part of this family because we love each other. And so I want to think of the end in mind of this church. That doesn't mean when this local congregation shuts its doors. That's not what we're talking about. And one day that will happen. That will happen. What we're talking about is I'm looking at you and you're looking at me. And I'm looking at the people aside from my family that I love the most. And I'm looking at you standing before King Jesus. I'm beginning there with how I love and, and speak and treat to you today. I'm, am I, as Paul would say in Romans 12, with all the gifts and abilities and opportunities that God has given to me, a sharp mind, a strong body, a courageous spirit, am I using those gifts to better the body? Active? You don't have to come and beg for volunteers. I'm willing to serve. Use me. Am I, as was said in Hebrews 3 and verse 13, encouraging one another? Am I the one who is encouraging each one of these souls, at least to the ability that I can? Because every single one here matters. Every single one. To our oldest members, which may be our brother Leon, to our youngest babies, everyone matters. Every soul matters. So am I encouraging? Am I the encourager? I may have a lot of burdens on my heart, but I'm trying to reach out to you. How are you doing? How's your walk with God? How can I help you? How can I pray for you? Am I strengthening, as the, as the Hebrew writer would say, the weak? Strengthen, he says, the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. That is, sometimes we encourage those who are burdened with life's hardships, and sometimes we have to strengthen the weak. You know what that means? The context this is found in just before it talks about discipline. And sometimes, sometimes we're kind and we say, you look like life's hard, how can I help you? And sometimes it's, you're not where you ought to be, it's time to change. I've needed both. I've needed people who have sat by my side and said, I'm so sorry life is hard, let me pray for you. And I've needed some older saints to kick me in the pants and say, what's wrong with you? You can't keep doing this. Not if you love the Lord, not if you want to change. And sometimes we need that correction. Sometimes we need people to say, you know what, I know this is not politically correct. I know this is going to get in trouble on Facebook, but your life is not good right now. I'm looking at the choices you're making. I'm looking at your attitude. And in the light of the Word of God, I'm concerned about you, brother. I'm worried about you, sister. And I'm coming out of love, but I'm coming with truth, and I want to help you get strong. I want to help you in your weakness to not stay there, but to get better and to grow. We have some here who are not married. We have some here who have no biological or adopted children. But have I been one, like Paul, who is adopted spiritually? Who has children abundant in our congregation? Children of the faith. Grandchildren of the faith. And just as much as you would love them like a biological 
parent or adoptive parent, you love these children. You love them as if they're your own, and you're trying to teach them and care for them and mentor them. Have, have I looked at our own that way? Or maybe the opposite, have I attached myself to those who have gone on ahead of me, a generation before me, those who have spoke the word of God to me, those who have led me, and I've looked at the life that they've lived, and I look at their faith, and I look at the choices they've made, and that's what I want to be like. And so have I reached out to encourage and to learn and to grow from those who are ahead of me? Have I contributed, as Paul would say, in my prayers to the work of evangelism and helping our borders to spread and to add more to our family? Here's the question. I'm looking at you, and I'm looking at you as if you're standing before King Jesus. And that changes everything. Whatever little drama exists today, you parked in my parking spot. You didn't write me a card at Christmas. I want to sing together around the throne of God with you. I want us to blend the voices like we do today there. And so I'm beginning with the end in mind. Sometimes that's hard because today's hard. Sometimes that's hard because the strife today is right in front of our face, but what if I looked at the end? I, I can get through the drama of the day. I can see through the speed bumps and the issues, the minor issues of today when I see where it is we want to be. And obviously, when, when I think about my soul, when I think about my life, when I think about the extent of where it is I want to be in my heart, it's probably not a better statement of what it said in the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4, being number 7, when he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I kept the faith, and the future there's laid up for me, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, question. I'll tell you my honest truth. When I have read that verse, I've imagined Jordan saying that at about 80 years old, or about 90 years old. That's what I've imagined. I've not imagined Jordan at 36 saying that, because Jordan at 36 is the Apostle Paul in Acts 9. I've got a lot of work to do. I, I'm with the Lord and things are getting started. I'm not at that point. Could I say today, though? Because here's what he's saying. I didn't get to do everything I wanted to do. I didn't do all I set out or desired to do, but I did what the Lord told me to do. I did His will. I did. I served Him. I followed Him. I obeyed Him. I, I fought. I fought the best that I could. And I raced. I did race. I really did. And, and I held on to that faith. No, there's a lot more I had set out to do. But even at 36, if this was it, I, I'm trying to the best of my ability to say, I, I did. I didn't do it all, but I, but I did what the Lord wanted me to do. Can you see the end Here's three questions that might help along the way. Look to the end and look where we are today and ask the question, when I look at the end, what do I want to have known whenever it comes? When my last day comes, what do I want to have known? What is it I want to have learned and gained and understood? What do I want to have done? With the time and the opportunities and open doors that the Lord has set before me, what is it I want to have done and accomplished with this life that God gave to me? And ultimately, what is it, uh, what do I want to have become? What kind of man, what kind of woman, what kind of servant, what kind of leader, what kind of husband or father or wife or mother, what, what do I want to have become with this life that God has given to me? 
I realized it can be hard to do this sometimes. Kofi described it as seeing the things you can't see with your eyes, and that's hard. So I'd like to try to illustrate it, if you will, for a moment. It's not perfect, but it might help for a moment. Of changing where I am today, and shaping my choices today and my habits and my priorities based on where I want to be eternally. When Holly and I set out to adopt our three children, uh, there was a process in the United States where we secured the child, having chosen them in whatever fashion, each one was a little different, signed some papers, and essentially what took place was it secured the child as ours. No other family could adopt that child. There's a lot more that still had to happen, but that was the process where that child then in one sense was secured as our own. And then something unique happened with every child, is that we would get pictures. And every month, we'd get another picture. Actually, usually they came in in threes. And so for a process of, for one was a year, and another was a year and a half, and for one was two and a half years, you just start a, you watch them grow. (laughs) Watch them take their steps and learn new habits and form, form their personalities. And the reality is we're, we're back in the States and they are in Korea, but to whatever sense we could, we, we love those children. We, we were their parents. And so we prepared everything here we could for them. We chose their names and we created their rooms and bought toys and rugs and bought all sorts of presents. And we would imagine, we would sit at a table and imagine the empty seat with them being there But we will never forget the day. We got to meet him face to face. Those are memories written, burned in our hearts. Those children we longed to see and to meet, and we got to hold them and play with them and to hear their laugh, their giggle, and their smile. And of course, you look today. And so much of that weight is gone. It's forgotten. Because now all we know is the love and the joy of being together. One day, you will see God face to face. Just like this. One day, you will stand face to face with Jesus. How does that change your relationship with him today? How does that change your prayers? How does that change your worship? 
How does that change your priorities? Knowing one day, this God whom we have devoted our life to learn and, and focus and to devote ourselves to, we've devoted our lives to serving Him and knowing Him and trusting Him. One day, this Jesus whom we have adored, we will stand face to face. Right a year ago, the quote that said this, if you want to know where you're going, look back. If you want to know where you're going, look back. That's a great thought for us on this Sunday. If I look back over the events of 2023, if I looked at my habits and I looked at my choices, where am I going? Based on where I've been, am I walking, pursuing a closer relationship with God? Am I someone who is striving towards heaven, living heaven bound? Or if I looked back at the year God gave to me, that things aren't heading in the right direction. Things in my marriage are not heading in the right place. Things in our home are getting too distracted with too many different variables. Then today's the day for change. Proverbs says, give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Eight shepherds the Lord has given to you. And today you have eight shepherds at your disposal, and I plead with you before the day is done. If it needs to be that you realize that as a family, and a family unit, my, my kids have absolutely no interest in the Lord, in worship, in His Word, it's time for a course correction, and it's time for a change. You can't wait till you get down the road. It's time to change today and to make that change. If my relationship with my spouse isn't where it needs to be, and, and we just we have no interest in God and trying to talk about it, it, it's just not working, and they have no interest, it's time for a course correction, and it's time for a change. And your shepherds are here for that, and they can help because they have helped. They have helped families, and they have helped marriages, and they're here for you too. And maybe for myself, I'm, I'm here, and we're so thankful that you're here. But if I'm honest with myself in the last year, and I looked at my habits, I'm not getting closer to God. I'm drifting farther away from Him. That I'm less interested and less devoted. I just, I, I just don't care about God as much as I used to. Then it's time, good brethren, for course correction because we're going to stand before him one day. We don't want to stand before a stranger. We want to kneel before our Father and be ready for that beautiful day to come. So our shepherds are ready for you and they're here for you. If today is the day we need to make some change, let's do it today. Just as you are, however it is, Today, let's make that change. If we... Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.